0: Thank you, Zach. Never heard the Jedi as ninja space warriors before, but that's that's cool. Um, let's uh, let's open up your Bibles to the Book of Habakkuk. Uh, some people pronounce it Habakkuk. Uh, the English pronounce it Habakkuk. Irish pronounce it Habakkak. You know, um, I don't care. It's a, but don't correct me. All right. I've had people go, you pronounced it wrong. You don't know how it was pronounced in Hebrew in the 6th century B.C. The point of it is, his message is so timely for each and every one of us. So open it up. you find it in the back of your bulletins or uh, in your Bibles or on your devices. Habakkuk, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word which teaches us how we can truly continue to live our lives and flourish in you in very troubling times. And Lord, as we look at Habakkuk's ministry in life, may we draw great encouragement from this word. And may we know you and love you and follow you more passionately, Lord, because we've spent time with this great prophet. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, uh, how long is this isolation going to last? How long is this pandemic going to last, Lord? I mean, it's coming back in the South. How long will the racial tension in our land last? How long do you allow the anarchists to reign in our culture, Lord? I mean, they they. Tore down the statue of U.S. Grant in San Francisco. That speaks well for California education. Do something, Lord. Why aren't you doing something? Well, friends, the questions that we're wrestling with, Habakkuk is wrestling with, And we're going to learn how we can live during these trying times. Habakkuk is a book of prophecy. In other words, he's proclaiming in these three chapters what is going to happen. And it does as he develops the themes of covenant, our sin, punishment for our sin, even among God's people, and renewal of God's people. It's a 7th century B.C. book promising Babylon's rise. We heard it, the the Chaldeans. God's going to send the Chaldeans. That's another word for the Babylonians. And he does so years before that actually happens. Habakkuk serves during the days of 626 B.C. to 605 B.C. And what he's going to see in his lifetime is absolutely astounding. He's going to see the reign and the reforms of Judah's last great king, Josiah. He's going to see the death of Assyria's last great king in 626. And just a few years later, he's going to see the downfall of Assyria, which has taken over Judah. And they are taken over as a nation by Babylon. He's going to observe the death of the beloved King Josiah. Then, among all that, he's going to see the Egyptians invade Jerusalem and take over Judah in 609 B.C. and then just four years later, Babylon's going to come and take them over. These are tough times. So how do we trust God in tough times like this, evil times, when we think, why does God do nothing? Well, Habakkuk teaches us how. First, we need to listen to the word from without. Uh, Verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. An oracle in the Hebrew could also be translated burden. It's a burden, it's a vision that he, he saw this. So it's a vision that he saw, and until he shares it, he can't get this burden off his chest. So therefore, brothers and sisters, what follows in this book is not as much from Habakkuk as it is from the Lord himself. This is God's word. It's breathed out by him, and therefore it's useful for us. 2 Timothy three fourteen to 17 It's given through messengers carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, 16-21. It's given for us just as much as it's given for the people in Habakkuk's day. 1 Corinthians 10, 1-13 and 1 Peter 1, 10-12. And it confronts us about being serious by allowing God's word to come into every area of our lives. If you understand the book of Habakkuk, you'll never be surprised by anything and you'll be ready for anything. You won't be shocked by anything. You ready? All right, let's listen to the word of God together. That's the first thing. We listen to the word from without. Secondly, we observe and we do what Habakkuk does. So what does he do? Well, the first thing he does, he comes to the Lord with a bold and honest plea. Look at verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. You ever prayed like that? This is bold and it's honest he's challenging God and if you go down later for next week's sermon we're going to see it a little more closer but he does something that's even more remarkable and it doesn't come out in the English but in verse 12 he says are you not from everlasting in other words are, are you not eternal are you not infinite uh, he's asking a rhetorical question but it's not a request for information Essentially, he's saying something like this. I thought you were infinite. I thought you were awesome, great, wise, everlasting, but you're not. If you look at the Hebrew word that's used, are you not, in verse 12, lo. Every time it's used, 96 times in the Old Testament as it's used, it's always used in great argumentation between two parties, human But not here. It's a one-way argument between a human and God. And there's nothing like it anywhere in the Bible. Habakkuk is not approaching God with awe and wonder and respect, for he's in utter despair. The Babylonians are at the gate. And in verses 2 through 4, Habakkuk And I paraphrase here, you're letting evil and injustice reign. Look at our country, oh Lord. I mean, I thought salvation for the whole world was going to come out of Israel. But yet, here you are letting evil and injustice reign. Why do you do nothing? And so God gives him an answer in verse 5 through 11. And we'll get to that specifically in a little bit, but I'll paraphrase that as well. God says, yeah, I'm going to do something. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians for you. I'm going to raise up the most bloodthirsty, ruthless people, and they're going to run over your land like a leopard. And they're going to crush and conquer the country. And in verse 12, it's as if Habakkuk is saying... That's your answer? Really? That's ridiculous. That's nuts. See, Habakkuk is bold and honest in this prophetic book. And that's the first thing he does. He's honest in his prayer, and he's bold in his prayer. We need to be honest and bold with God as well. Two, he's wrestling with God. And while he's wrestling, the thought never enters his mind to walk away from the faith. It's not an option. He's not tweeting about it, his suffering. He's not on Facebook or writing a blog. He's wrestling with God in a faithful way as he's boldly and honestly questioning what God's doing here. I, I bet your experience is kind of like mine when you see people going through tough times and suffering. There's two kinds of people. There's the ever decreasing population. I haven't spoken to a person that says this in years. Of the traditional religious legalists, who say, "Oh, don't don't talk about God that way. Don't don't pray to God that way. You know, he, he's he's perfect. We need to be moral people. We're better than that." We know he's up there. Basically all you're doing that there is appeasing God. And it's not a relationship. They would say to Habakkuk, don't talk that way. On the other hand, and in an ever-increasing manner, and especially with some young adults that, that we've seen in this church, come and say things like, you know, if this is what it's all about, I don't want anything to do with it. They have a greater respect for human reasoning, science, and, and human wisdom. And they say, I don't see how God can bring anything good out of this. All the suffering and evil, therefore I'm not going to buy it. I don't need this. I'm out of here. Brothers and sisters... Habakkuk is neither of those. He, matter of fact, he comes back in verse 12. He says, are you not from everlasting? O Lord my God, my Holy One. I wouldn't be upset if I thought you weren't holy. But, but I know you are. I would not be upset if I thought I could walk away, but I know I can't. I can't figure your life out with you, how in the world am I going to figure life without you? Where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. We've heard that before. That's why I'm upset. We see this in the scripture. Psalm one hundred thirty seven was that we prayed to gay was written by exiled Jews in Babylon. As the Babylonians are mocking them, saying, Sing us one of your songs. We want to hear a Jewish song. Hava Nagila. Go for it. How can I sing a song of Zion when I'm, not in, when I'm in captivity? We took out the last two verses, for those of you who are paying attention. Because it ends with, Blessed are those who crash your babies against the rocks, Babylon. That's in the Bible? Yeah, it is. Psalm 88, Psalm 39. At the end of both those Psalms, the psalmist says, God, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. I've had enough. You ever read Job? (laughs) I'm reading Job right now. I'm going, wow. Jeremiah? They're really upset. And so is Habakkuk. Scholar Derek Kidner says, the very presence of such prayers in Scripture is evidence and witness to God's understanding of our brokenness, God's understanding of our pain and our suffering and our sorrow. He understands when we're desperate and we speak that way. So why doesn't he smite Habakkuk? I mean, why does he put prayers like this in the Bible? I mean, you know, if I'm writing the Bible, I'm not putting that prayer in there. I'm not letting that maggot speak to me that way. But yeah, here it is. Are we supposed to pray like this? Well, I I wouldn't necessarily suggest it as a regular pattern. You know, but they're here for a reason. Because God knows how we speak when we are desperate. And he says, I've remained there, God, not because they put on a happy face because they don't. Not because they keep it together because they don't. Not because they have perfect emotional and self-control because they don't. Not because they're living the perfect Ozzie and Harriet Christian life. They don't. I remain their God all because of my grace and my unconditional love for them. And I love them. They're my people. And the reason Habakkuk can go before the Lord with this bold, honest, faithful wrestling is that he understands this grace. He can handle this. Because when your salvation is not based on your performance, but it's based on God's performance in Jesus Christ, knowing that, on the one hand, you can go to him when you're desperate, boldly and honestly. And in the same token, he's not going to let you go, and so you stay. You stay. And you don't walk away. My friends, in Jesus Christ, you are a bold and honest, faithful Wrestler. That's how you deal with these days. So let's look at God's response. All right. Beginning with verse five. I'm going to paraphrase it real quick. It's an astounding work that God's going to do involving a totally unexpected future for Habakkuk. It's a violent work involving the removal of. Those people who profess God with their lips, but they go out and they deny him by their lifestyle. But it's also a cleansing work. It's done through an arrogant nation, but it's all of God. It's all God's work. And yeah, next week we're going to see Habakkuk say, you call that an answer? And God says, yeah, that is an answer, Habakkuk. But you see, we can see something Habakkuk didn't see. If the Jews had never been taken off into exile, they never would have been dispersed all throughout over what would eventually become the Roman Empire. After the exile, though a lot of Jews returned to Jerusalem, most of them did not. And they were scattered all over the ancient world in synagogues. Therefore, in every city in the ancient world had these synagogues, and in these synagogues were Jews... And God fearing Gentiles who had been pagans, but as they began to befriend and be befriended by the Jewish people, they became God fearing and they began to be interested in the God of Israel. So, when Christianity began to spread, as you can read in the book of Acts, and historians will tell you that the most receptive people to the gospel were not the pagans, not the Jews. But the God-fearing Gentiles who were in synagogues all over the ancient world. And they embraced it and it was mostly through them that the gospel spread like wildfire all over the Roman Empire. And years later, preaching about Jesus in Antioch in Acts 13, Paul says this amazing statement. God raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Then he adds this. Take care what the prophets, Habakkuk, have said does not happen to you. Look and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told that's verse five, of Habakkuk one. Look among the nations and see him; and wonder, be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if you were told. He's looking at there, and he's saying, "I'm going to do something you'll never believe. It's astounding. It's my salvation that's going to come to you out of judgment. It's my salvation out of injustice and violence." Paul says he's talking about Jesus. You say, no, Habakkuk is talking about the Babylonians. But you see, what Paul is saying is the thing about Habakkuk is that God said to Habakkuk, it's the principle that I will bring salvation out of violence, injustice, slavery wrong, evil, suffering. It finds its ultimate supreme expression in Jesus Christ. For when God came into this world as Jesus and went to the cross, he took the judgment that we deserved. He didn't come in strength, he came in weakness. He didn't come in triumph, he came to a corrupt court. He experienced absolute injustice as he was tortured and beaten. He suffered and died because he's holy. And Habakkuk says, I don't understand why you put up with this. How can you bring this out of injustice if you're holy? And God says, on the cross, it's fully explained. Because he's holy, because he just can't forgive us our sin, our sin has to be paid for. Because what we've done toward him, toward each other, has to be paid for. Therefore, he's a just God. And he experienced that judgment on the cross on our behalf. He paid our penalty, took our judgment. And it's on the cross bringing salvation out of that judgment. And therefore bringing light out of darkness and suffering out of redemption. brings Redemption out of suffering, rather. And evil and difficulty. Look, people were standing at the cross and they were saying, I don't see how anything good can come out of this. I'm out of here. God would say, It was for your ultimate good. So we must look at our lives. We must look at our evil times. And we must look at what's going on. And and we might say, I don't understand what God is doing here. But when we look at the cross, because of the cross, you have, in a way, the ultimate Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk is com- confused. He's perplexed. He's upset. He's wrestling with God. And he's bold and honest. And it's in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. He wrestled with his father. On the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, where are you? Why don't you do something? God was really gone because Jesus took our penalty. You know what that means, right? See, when Habakkuk or you or I say, Lord, you've abandoned us, the point is the abandonment is not real. God's at work. God is working. He's working in spite of the fact that you're not the perfect Christian. God's working in spite of the fact that we say bad things to him, in spite of the fact that we don't keep our cool or keep our perfect happy face on all the time or keep perfect self-emotional control. He's faithful to us. Because of what Jesus did upon the cross for our sake. He was faithful and stuck to it for you in evil times. And he stuck to it and it all came upon him. Then when evil times come upon us, we can say, I know God's at work somehow. I know God loves me, therefore I will be faithful and patient with him. My favorite psalm during this pandemic has been Psalm 130. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. We wait on him. See, Jesus, in a sense, is saying, when you look at my death and, and, and my resurrection, you realize dark times can come upon a person. That doesn't mean that I've abandoned you. Bad things happen to good people. That's how it happened to me. But I want you to know that there's a reason for everything that I'm doing. Someday you'll know what it is. And until then, trust me, love me, follow me, and look to me. For I will be with you by the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you always. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so grateful for this opportunity to come and to hear this word that Habakkuk was going through times just like ours, and quite frankly, in a worse way. And that we can come and partake of the Lord's Supper as a way of remembering that you are with us no matter what. You're in us, and we can live this life Filled with your spirit. And when we, even when we feel you're not there, because on the cross your son was abandoned in our place, you left him and put our sins on him, and therefore you will never leave us. So, Holy Spirit, we pray you would come and help us to deal with these evil times. And I just pray, Lord, that we would constantly look to you, Lord Jesus. And remember that you are with us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.